Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Soccer. I am your host, Michelle, and of course, of course my co-host, Christian Conway. Happy holidays, much like the U.S. Men's National Team on Wednesday night. I hope uh, this season brings a lot of goals, personal or otherwise. Oh, that is so nice to say as we wind down the 2020 uh, year. <laughs> I was going to say the season, but it's also, it's also the year. Um, it's, it's crazy how we hit like November 1st and then everything was just like turbo speed and all of a sudden it's like December 11th and I'm like, how did this happen? Like, when did this happen? Yeah, and we would have been back sooner, but if you guys didn't already catch it, we did do a Megapod with a lot of our LA Galaxy counterparts. Um, shout out to the Nag boys. <laughs> uh, and and well, I mean, shout out to all the boys, but they it were was, the ones it, that that hosted it, and everything. It was a family affair. It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and also, so thank you and welcome to our new followers and new listeners. And thank you again for our returning uh, followers and listeners. We really appreciate you. And as you know, Christian and I, we like to cover U.S. men's national team, the women's soccer. Um, and LA Galaxy, of course, but we also have, even though our team was last place <laughs> and didn't make anywhere near the playoffs, um, there's still MLS Cup happening. Yeah, it's, and this is, I think if you had said to me when we left Orlando, this was going to be the MLS Cup pairing Columbus for Seattle, I probably would have said, yeah, I can actually agree with that. This is going to be an interesting cup final because... Obviously, the backdrop of of what's going on right now, but the crew have lost three players to coronavirus concerns, and they've lost three critical players to coronavirus concerns. And the two that I, I'd like to focus on are Darlington Nagby and Pedro Santos. And Pedro Santos, who had an indifferent start to his MLS career, I would say. Um, I think he went like three seasons without scoring a goal, which is brutal to say the least. But all of a sudden this year, he kind of found his shooting boots. I think he scored three goals in the playoffs this year. They're not going to have that. I mean, Darlington Nagby, one of the biggest enigmas, really, in in MLS. I mean, you talk about his time in Atlanta and how how interesting. I mean, you know, he was so central to what made Atlanta so good for all, uh, for those that those halcyon two years, um, and then before they got a case of the stupids and hired Frank DeBoer. Um, but then you also talk about uh, the fact that you know what Darlington Nagby does so well for Columbus is he controls the game. And they're not going to have that. And that's, that makes me kind of concerned about this Columbus team because what you need to do against Seattle in order to be successful is control the game. Because what Seattle does so well is between Jordan Morris and Nico Lodero and Nico Lodero, who does literally everything on the field, and honestly, I really wish we had signed him, uh, Raul Rui Diaz, and you, know, you, you even go through the lineup. I mean, the Roldan brothers, Christian and Alex Roldan, and you know, their wingbacks, they just do everything at such a high level that you need to be able to control the tempo. And losing losing uh, Darlington Agby controlling the tempo, that's going to be a problem. Now, I, I do think Columbus has a shot at this. I really do, because the, pay, the, the framework to beat Seattle is there, right? Like, I mean, we saw what Minnesota did for 88 minutes against Seattle on Tuesday night. We saw what they did, which was just they made the game so difficult for Seattle to operate in. And Seattle was just forced into these low percentage moments. And it almost worked. I mean... See, but I thought maybe that the Sounders had downplayed a bit until the very end. Now, I'm not saying that they 
knew that they were going to come back from a two-goal deficit. But as soon as Will Bruin had come in, I was like, I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. I, I actually thought that the game was going to be a draw and then they would go to penalties. Um, that's what I thought was going to happen. So for, you know, Rui Diaz to get the goal that he wanted and then I think it was O'Neal, right, that scored the other one? Um, uh, was, the goal scorers were Bruin, uh, Rui Diaz, and Gustav Svensson. Oh, Svensson. Why did I think? Who the heck is O'Neal? Okay. Was, so he anyway. Was Dallas. He was the guy that scored against Dallas. Gotcha. All right. Thank you. Well, um, just watching that game and, and seeing it unravel for Minnesota in the last two minutes, this, this that same thing could happen um, with the Columbus crew if, if they don't make sure to shut down the Sounders early um, to run, to run them ragged. I mean, you know, the former LA, well, the former LA galaxy guys are, you know, Jossie's artist and Emma Botang. And, you know, there's a part of me that wants to see obviously the underdog uh, win it, you know, um, you know, there's this I, I, talk of like the Sounders, like coming up I, as a dynasty. And I'm I like, don't no. think, <laughs> I don't think Columbus is the underdog in this game. I really, I think this is a very even match game. I don't really think you can point to one team as being the underdog because well, I both, only do because the Sounders have cups. Yeah. And I mean, they're defending MLS back to back and they're always running. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's a fair point. Sorry. Um, the phone just went off. Um, but I think what, what, I mean, look, Columbus with Zellerayan, I mean, they're incredibly just engaging in attack. And I mean, the, the one thing about Justice Artist that's so fascinating to me is that, you know, I, I think we've buried Justice Artist multiple times and he just keeps turning up in big moments. And yeah. what Justice Artist so, does so incredibly well, and like, it, I think we underestimated him when he was a Galaxy player because he was playing alongside Robbie Keane and Landon Donovan and David Beckham. And he had all these stars that just really took the gravity away from a defense having to mark him. And so I think for at least from a personal perspective, I thought a lot of his goal scoring, excuse me, a lot of his goal scoring, uh, his goal scoring work with the galaxy was just basically like, Oh, he's just getting into smart positions and the rest of the team pulls all the gravity. And it's just a simple ball to get Josh's artist into the final third to score. Having watched him in Columbus where he doesn't have necessarily those kind of stars, Josh's artist makes some really smart runs off the ball. Like, I mean, he really is a very smart player. He's got Zeller around who's feeding him every single time. Look, I mean, we saw what, like, Minnesota really had Seattle's backs to the wall. Like, I think you and I can agree that Yeah. Seattle looked kind of lifeless for a solid 75 minutes. Absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't until after, yeah, it was until after that first goal that they all came alive suddenly. Yeah, and I mean, that's, if they, if they are, if Columbus is going to win this game, the one thing that they have to do is what Minnesota did, which was basically force Lodero and force Christian Rodolfo field and create kind of a block in between the defense and the midfield. And just basically frustrate them, you know, basically doing what the Galaxy did in attack this year, which is basically pinging long balls to the winger and hope he can beat them on the turn. That's easy to defend against, especially for a team that's defensively as solid as Columbus is. My, so... It, I guess I'm going to argue for both sides. Like I'm a law student. I have to argue ingrained in my blood. Um, <laughs> if I'm a Columbus crew fan and I want to believe that they're going to win cup tomorrow, it's all about controlling space, making it difficult for Lodero to operate in because Lodero, I mean, he's a number 10, but he's not necessarily the 
traditional understanding of the number 10 or like the final third and just passes left and right and spring the final ball. He's everywhere on the field. Time would have just marked the hell out of him and make it really difficult for him to hit counterattacks. Like, I mean, that Seattle defense didn't look great against Minnesota. And I mean, Minnesota have looked fantastic during the playoffs. I think there's no question, but I mean, they were fragile at times against Minnesota and Minnesota, I think probably could have had three or four had they been a little bit more lucky. Um, if I'm Seattle, it's all about ensuring that Nicolodero gets on the ball and, you know, in, in high percentage spaces and you use Jordan Morris's pace, you use your wingbacks, which I mean, Leardam and Tolu are, I mean, I hate giving Seattle credit because, um, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm a Gallagher fan, but I mean, They've got two of the best wingbacks in the league. They've got one of the best number 10s in the league. And they have Raul Ru- Diaz, who just scores for fun. Like, I think Raul Diaz has scored in every playoff game he's played since coming into MLS. Like, he just does that. That's what he does. And that um, last game, I could see Raul Diaz wanted the goal. He was he was hungry for it. But he did keep missing, I felt. And so I kind of thought, you know, if, if the Columbus crew can punish the Sounders on mistakes like that, and or just, you know, um, not even mistakes, just misses, you know, um, and maintain possession and and score. Like they just have to outscore, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, if if this turns into a run and gun kind of game, then I think that favors Seattle, just because Seattle's just got so many killers on that field. That you know, I, I mean, you look at Columbus, their two, you know, biggest goal threats are Zellerion and and Jossie's artist, and that's about it. I mean, you look at mm-hmm. Seattle, it's really and they can, yeah. Can score it's, from pretty much anywhere. <laughs> They'll all take a shot. Yeah. It's Ladero. It's Jordan Morris. It's you know, like the, the names keep coming up, coming up. I also will say, I think if it gets tight in the you know, let's say the seventieth minute, and it comes down to reliance on substitutions in order to change the game, a hundred percent, I'm giving that to Brian Spencer because I mean, he's got brilliance off the bench. I mean, we saw it. Will Bruin, Gustav Svensson, you know, Ariaga. Like he's got players off the bench compared to yeah, Columbus, I don't think has as strong of a bench. Um, so I, 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 I'm, we, we know that I hate making predictions on this podcast because I'm usually wrong. And I usually curse a team whenever I make a prediction here. <laughs> You're going to do it though. Go. <laughs> I'm going to do it because I actually feel pretty confident in this. I'm, I love the fact that Columbus is in this cup final. I love Columbus's story. I love everything about the save the crew and turn, turning it to yeah, save. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I understand. And I mean, in spare a quick thought, and I know this is going to be a little bit of a, a bit of a sidebar, but I mean, playing in, like how fitting that in MLS's 25th season, we're playing MLS cup final in the stadium that was the first soccer specific stadium in the United States in its last game, hosting this team in MLS cup final after what it's meant to us men's national team fans with the Dos Acero games and the Corda Frias and you know, it, it, like the history, I mean, like literally you could point to Columbus building a soccer specific stadium as kind of saving the league. How fitting that this, that this 25th anniversary MLS cup final happens there. Right. Like, I mean, the history of it is just so engaging. I'm taking Seattle in this game. Unfortunately, I just, I've, I, Oh, wow. I can't, I like every well, single just time with I, that lead up when you're talking about the Columbus and everything. I thought, I thought you were going to go Columbus. <laughs> well, I, I've I've bet against Seattle so many times in the playoffs, and they've just proven me wrong every single time. This is a team that knows how to win. This is a team that has been in these moments before. This is a team that is. I mean, what other team in MLS, two nil down at home, the seventy fifth minute, can pull it back to three two in a playoff game like that? What other team right now in MLS? And I understand I'm, I'm waxing lyrical about Seattle, but I think begrudgingly, as Galaxy fans, we have to give them credit for what they've built. 
what other team can do that? I don't think any other team can. And that's, the, that's why I'm kind of picking Seattle in this, is because Seattle's not going to get intimidated by a moment. Seattle's going to say, all right, for 2-0 down in the 75th minute, we'll figure out a way to get back into this game because we just that's what we do. They're relentless. And they have match winners at every position. I just think, you know, I think Columbus is going to give them a game. I, I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I, I firmly don't believe this. But I just, I, I have so much trouble picking against Seattle considering what they've achieved and what they're, what they're built to do. And I, it, and I just think, you know, it, it's going to be a good game. I think because Columbus is a very good team. I mean, they, were prob- they probably should have won the support shield this year. Um, I think Philadelphia winning it, you know, all credit to them was a little bit of a fluke. Um, but I, I, I have to take Seattle in this game. Well, all the credit to Seattle and to Schmetzer, as as you've said. Um, but from what I saw in that last game up until those last 25 minutes, um, I would say the way that the crew have been playing, and again, if they can get... I mean, Jossie's going to Jossie, and <laughs> he'll, he'll roll and fly and, and hit a, a ball in the back of the net. Um, I... I don't think it'll be a blowout as well, but I I have the Columbus crew for this one. I think that Seattle's um, had their time, and I think that the Columbus crew are up for the challenge. I, I think that they're they're very very hungry for it. Not that Seattle isn't, but that Columbus crew have something to prove. Um, I think that there's a lot riding on this for them. So I, I think for both franchises, this is a critical game. Like I mean, this is this is this is a big one, um, and it's 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 gonna it's it gonna is. be. And, and I'm not saying that Seattle should rest on their laurels or anything, but they they've had they've had their their runs, so that's why I I'd like to see Columbus Crew get it. Well, at least one of us will be uh will be right on Saturday after it's all said and done. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm I'm ever the salty LA Galaxy fan. I I don't want our rivals to win for one, and and two, I don't want anybody else catching up. Um, the Galaxy have a lot of work to do. And uh, a few years, I think, before we see another star. So, unfortunately, so actually, I uh, I don't want anybody catching up. Actually, Thanks. you make a fair point about them catching up to us and MLS Cup titles. Actually, let's go Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but again, your prediction is different than you know what you want to see on the pitch per se. But um, all right, the U.S. Men's National Team. Um, last time we recorded, they had a game against Wales, which ended up being nil nil, and then they've beaten two. Um, Central American teams, uh, six to two for Panama and then six zero for El Salvador. And I just want to say that I am not impressed. I, I don't think beating a small country, not, not to like put down El Salvador or anything, but I just, you know, everybody's like, oh yeah, U.S. men's national team, they're going to shine. And, and definitely we have stars on, on this roster. I think that it's starting to look better but I don't have the confidence that everybody else does that this U.S. men's national team has made some kind of turnaround we still have Berhalter as coach go Christian so I I was listening to one of our episodes last night I was actually listening to our 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 season review of the defense last night just to see if I could glean anything that I wanted to bring into this episode as well and I was very highly critical of Greg Berhalter in that episode where I said you know I just don't think he sold himself well I don't think he's done a good job of projecting what he is and who he is and tactically what he is and et cetera, et cetera. I've reversed my opinion on that over this, over these past three games. And I, and I, I understand the trepidation and I understand the, the, the general sense of malaise. I mean, you know, missing out in 2018 was a very big deal. And, 
you know, Greg Verhalter was an underwhelming hire. Like, I mean, I, I get it. Um, but I think what we saw in these, in these past three games and, you know, they played a Wales B team and, and Wales is, 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 you know, I mean, they made a European championship quarterfinal or a quarterfinal or semifinal. They make the semis I think they made the semis in 2016. I, you know, the, that's not bad. Um, the, what I what I saw against Wales, and I think Wales is pretty much the big game to glean a lot of the the conclusions out of, right? Like, I mean, they actually played a, a decent team in Wales. I mean, and that's not to put down Panama and El Salvador. I mean, Panama going through a generational change. I mean, the era of Roman Torres and um, God, that striker that I couldn't stand that played for FC Dallas, the one that always did the little bullhorn celebration. Concacaf heads another one. Um, that generation has aged out. They are, you know, in their you know, forties at this point. Um, and, and they've got a younger generation that didn't really kind of take the mantle. El Salvador, again, kind of the same case where it's, you know, it's a weird time in that national team program where it's kind of like in between generations. I saw, I saw a lot of moments in that Wales game in terms of just passing and movement. And, you know, you saw Serginho Dest look amazing in that game. And you saw, you know, Yunus Musha, who at, you know, 18 years old, still hasn't chosen the national team yet, by the way, we need to get working on that. Um, you know, Yunus Musa, and, it, and, it, and I think a lot of my criticism with the U.S. men's national team is that, well, what happens if Pulisic's not on the field? You know, like, Pulisic we've, is the talisman of this team, and Pulisic wasn't available for the Wales and Panama games, and it looked fine. Like, I mean, it looked okay. Like, everything was going to be fine. I mean, Conrad... Conrad uh, I'll, I'll concede and, and admit that, yes. that I'm glad that they don't seem to be re- relying on Pulisic or just, like, one particular player that all the guys do seem to be stepping up. But for me, just because of the teams that we've played, it's hard for me to accurately assess and say, yeah, I think so. Well, and also we haven't seen this crop, this generation of players in a competitive match, right? Like, I mean, you know... We haven't seen the Gio Reynas, the Serginho Dests. I, I mean, Pulisic, we've barely seen in com- competitive matches. He was barely turning 18 and, and being a useful asset in the last World Cup qualifying cycle. I mean, I think I agree with I, I understand where you're coming from in terms of that. And I think, I think I also somewhat agree in terms of the fact that I'd like to see them in a competitive setting first. That playing meaningless friendlies behind closed doors is just, it, it doesn't amount to anything more than training exercise. Um, but I, I will say the one thing that I, I I took away from at least the El Salvador game and kind of what I wanted to talk about, which is, which is you look at the El Salvador game and first off, the United States as a national team, at least on the men's side, tends to play down to their opponent's level. It's just, it's, it's always been a thing. You know, they've gone to like Honduras and played bad Honduras teams and like lost two nil because they just couldn't get it going on the day. Um, now that also there's the important caveat of CONCACAF is really hard. Um, mm-hmm. But They've they played El Salvador and it was probably a B minus C team, right? Like, I mean, Chris Moeller's probably not going to see the national team for a long time. Like, I love Sebastian Lechette, but he's not starting for the full national team. Like, he's not going to start on an A side. Like, Mark McKenzie, Sam Vines, those guys are just not first. They're not their names are not in the starting eleven and pen. Let's just put it that way. And I was concerned because I mean, you look at that roster, you look at what he and obviously Bearhalter was kind of handcuffed by the, the 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 world that we live in currently in terms of who we could call in and who we couldn't um also mls playoffs going on i mean there was probably some players on seattle i mean obviously jordan morris would have been part of this camp had they lost it to minnesota um but they looked they didn't they didn't look like they were playing down they, they, they actually hit a different level and i mean i understand this was a depleted el salvador team i think they had two positive COVID cases in the camp yeah that's what i was thinking yeah but, 
they also struggled to get visas for certain players, and I understand like, that. I just don't think it's hard to beat El Salvador still. Well, but, but that's the thing is, did the 2018 qualifying campaign tell us anything about like it, it, if anything, the, the lesson that should have been learned from the 2018 qualifying campaign is that we can't believe it's easy to beat any team in CONCACAF that like we have to actually do it. I mean, you look at the game, I, I was kind of looking back at the results and I remember uh, after we lost to Costa Rica at Red Bull Arena before the, the, the saga that was the Panama Trinidad and Tobago double. Um, I remember turning to a friend and I said, I don't think we're qualifying because they'd lost Costa Rica at home, which I think was the first time in like years they had done that. I understand that, yes, it's El Salvador, and yes, I mean, and, and again, as you said earlier, that's not meant to diminish the, the nation at and, and any point, but again, they are going, we have to, you know, kind of face facts, they are going through a bit of a, a transitionary period in, in the national team program. But the thing is, you, you, you play the game that's given in front of you, right? And the United States, when that happens usually against some of the CONCACAF minnows, I mean, I remember there was a, a game in like 2011, or for the 2000, what was it? No, it wasn't 2011, it would have been 2014 qualifying campaign. It was like 2012 or 2013 in the first round of qualifying, where they had to go to like Antigua and Barbuda, and they're playing in like a cricket stadium. And it takes an Alan Gordon 91st minute winner to win the game for the United States. Like, this is a good sign that they're going out against El Salvador and winning 6-0. Like, this indicates to me that this group of players understands the, the, the full picture. And keep in mind... Qualifying for CONCACAF has completely changed now because of COVID. Like, now instead of the hex, it's yeah. the octagon or whatever whatever fun colloquialism we're going to call it. And instead of having two match days per international window, now we have three. Which means the strain on players is going to be so much bigger. And keep in mind also that club schedules are now compressed as well. Which means the strain on players at the club level is going to be massive. The strain at the international level is also going to be massive. We need to have... Not just an A team and a B team, but a C team and a D team that we can feel confident going out, you know, playing on a, I don't know, a Wednesday night in Teguchigalpa or something like that. They can actually go out there and get the job done. That's why I think this 6-0 result against El Salvador is incredibly positive. It's because it did indicate to me that there's a crop of players that they know they're not going to be in a major international match if the United States needs its best starting 11. I, you know, Mark McKenzie and Aaron Long is not going to be your center back pairing, but... They, if, they, if, we need to, if we have two games against, like, let's say, I don't know, Costa Rica and Mexico, and then we have to play, uh, I don't know, Panama, you know, we can, we can at least have some squad rotation that will actually be effective. And that's why I was, I was really stoked about the 6-0 win against El Salvador. Not because necessarily the results and who they played, but because it does indicate to me that there is some level of depth in the national team program, which is critical. I mean, Berhalter himself said none of these results are going to help us in, in 2021. Um, I'm I'm just looking here, you know, uh, they have to manage the calendar, possible Olympic participation, um, you know, the CONCACAF uh, Nations League, um, and then the Gold Cup, like, and then the, the, U, the U23s, like, there's, 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 there is a compact schedule. What, what gives me hope and what I've always contested as someone who stood behind U.S. men's national team are not these scores like on um, the last three teams that we faced but it's who we have on the team um besides the Pulisic um you know types I'm you know I've always said like okay we don't want to keep comparing ourselves to to Europe right but we do have uh McKinney who is in uh playing for Juventus and you know we watched him have a spectacular goal um you know all of these youngsters all these young guys that we have um they have so much potential that that they are who I'm excited to see this January camp is going to be really fun because yeah we will have all 
all the guys. Um, of course, you'll still see Jesse's artist, I'm sure, um, make his way into the lineup. But it's you know it's 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 really promising. I will say, like this 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 round of players is promising. I I'm I'm looking forward to to more games I, and seeing I'll, how they fare. Also, just quick shout out to Sebastian Legette for that absolutely lovely goal against El Salvador. What a hell of a chip! Um, and shout yeah, out to the I mean, it's nice the... to see. Go ahead. I was like, shout out to the Golasso committee for uh, the Weston McKinney shout. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, yeah. is, it is nice to see our, you know, our, a lot of the, um, the potential living up to that potential um, yeah. in, 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 their, in their clubs. Because, you know, even when Pulisic went to Chelsea, you're just like, he's going to be a bench warmer, you know. Um, I know for all the knock that Jordan Morris gets for staying with Seattle, like... You know, we can't really say, but we think that he would have just been a bench warmer in Germany. So to to be able to see these guys um, developing in their clubs, um, it, it it gives me hope. Um, it it is a very European side, <laughs> this uh, you know U.S. men's national team, but that's that's what we have for right now, especially in these uncertain times and when the galaxy's um, you know development is is under question as well you know well, and, and i mean t- t- quickly quickly to but because i know we have a lot to get on when we're talking about the galaxy defense and the goalkeepers mm-hmm. but i mean just to quickly kind of uh, put a kind of finer point on it there's a difference between the u.s men's national team having a european flair and it's players like who are playing in denmark and norway and like riding the pine on a spy division or a second division bundesliga side we're talking about players in europe that are playing for that are starting for Borussia dortmund juventus barcelona like chelsea like we're talking about clubs that have a certain stature and like that is, that to me is the biggest difference is like, again, I am one of those people that was very critical of Jurgen Klinsmann when he said, Oh, all American players have to go to Europe in order to be successful. My thought on it is you have to go to a place that is built that, that provides the framework for your success. And I think a lot of the early, early quote unquote trailblazers that went to Europe, went to clubs that were not built for their success. Now we're seeing players make smart moves. For example, Gio Reyna could really go anywhere in Europe at this point, but he's deciding to stay with Dortmund because he knows that his his best path to success is through Dortmund's academy system and through the through the coaches that he gets there and through the, the, the tutelage he gets there. Weston McKinney was completely misused at Schalke. I mean, Weston McKinney played, I think, like every position on the field except for goalkeeper, and even then I'm pretty confident Schalke was eyeing him up to play goalkeeper after that horrible season they had. And he realized that, Schalke's not going to be the best place for me to succeed. I need to go somewhere. And then he went to Juventus, and obviously we're seeing the success he has with Juventus. It, it feels like this crop of players didn't just dogmatically fall into the Europe thing. They are smart about doing that. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's why I'm like really excited about this generation of players. And especially like at every level, I'm really excited about this generation of players because they seem to be taking themselves seriously, and they seem to be... They, they're not distracted by just, oh, here's a European club, like Jordan Morris, for example. Jordan Morris could have gone to the Bundesliga five years ago, but he knew that Seattle was his best chance for success. And that's why I'm excited about this crop of national team players. So with that said, um, I want to shout out straight from the stands because they are actually the ones that were hosting the Megapod. And I was like, oh my gosh, should I just stop and like, should we start recording again? But I'm like, no, I'll just fix myself as we go into our LA Galaxy talk. Um, So thank Thank you for listening this far. Uh, Welcome, LA Galaxy fans, as we wrap up what was the anomaly that it was the 2020 tournament and season. 
but uh, that's not to say that LA Galaxy should be excused because it was such a strange year to to play in. I, I think the fact that we were last place um, reflects reflects uh, duly, you know. Um, the the defense had always been the problem in previous seasons and looking back on this dare i say that the defense wasn't even the worst part of this team this season um you know that first game in in Houston um i i definitely think that that when you have and Sua, and you have um, Didi Traore, who had a lot of potential. Um, Defender of the Year is Julian Araujo. Um, you know, in Depoy, and then Steres is is wearing the captain's band, and he's you know standing up for the team and 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 speaking to the media when when nobody else really would. Like, there's there's a lot of credit to be given. I mean, Felcher even had in people Gonzalez had flashes of the good players that that they could be. And, you know, before that, it was always the defense that was letting down and, and why we had to talk about Bingham so much and, and um, always letting him, always letting him down and always conceding goals. Um, so I, I still think, um, you know, there's very few defenders that are out of contract uh, moving forward. So I think you're, you're looking at what we got to continue to work with for a bit. And, and, I think the way that I'm, I'm going to look at it first is that looking at kind of the broad view of it. I mean, the Galaxy, this was an interesting... And, and keep, we're, we're talking about two different head coaches over the season, so it's kind of like a lot of it's conflated. But, I mean, mm-hmm. the, in order to talk about the defense, let's talk about the, what the Galaxy were trying to do as just a tactical plan, which was the, the Galaxy absorbed pressure, absorbed pressure, and then pinged long balls out to the wings and hoped that a winger could take a one-on-one and win it, and therefore springing the attack. That requires you to be defensively solid. And that also, so for me, I, I, the Galaxy defensive shape almost turned to a 5-4-1, and then Perry Kitchen or whoever was in that role would drop into the center back line to basically play almost as like a pseudo third center back. The, the whole entire thing about it is every team that beat the Galaxy knew one thing to be true, which is that the Galaxy are very good at playing team defense, which is that if you get you know two, three people together playing defense, they're going to feel confident in what they do. The way to beat the Galaxy is to get defenders on one-on-one situations where they look like giraffes on ice skates. Um, that's the whole entire... Th- and I mean, you well, watch but a lot- see, but then that's where Araujo would come in and he would he would be able to take on those defenders. Yeah, but I mean, Araujo was the only defender that could actually be comfortable in one-on-one situations. Rolf Felcher got right. pretty much every other time. And what's well, interesting... Yeah, because it's Rolf Felcher, but anyway. Well, well I mean... <laughs> And this is my, and this is also why I'm going to start in the 2021 campaign, a, a, a Twitter campaign to get Rolf Fulcher to play on the, on the wing because he's really good at attack. He's just not good at defense. Um, you know, what's, what's, you know, there's a lot that I, I, I would, there's so much I want to say that it's actually like clogging my brain up. But first off, let's, let's bear thought for Danilo Acosta who tore his ACL and missed the season. Um, I would have really liked to see him play because I, I had, long thought if, if there was only if he could get his head screwed on streaks there has been some behavioral issues um with him and that's why he was uh summarily removed from real salt lake um if they could get his head on straight i actually was very impressed with what he could have done um 
you shouted out Julian Rojo's Defender of the Year. Um, Julian, and I said this on the Megapod, is a fascinating figure for me because, you know, true, he's Defender of the Year. He scores one goal, three assists. I mean, he was brilliant in the games against LAFC. But two red cards, and two red cards that he probably didn't need to take. And I think that's... Right, that I pertain, not to, like, undermine um, those, like, what I would say is lack of professionalism. Um, I, I also want to say, but he, he is a rookie, you yeah, know, not to excuse it, but I'm just saying why those things are still happening. Um, I mean, um, he is a kid and, and, and you hope, and, and, and the word hope is doing a, a, a fair bit of work in the sentence. You hope that you can coach that out of him, right? Like, I mean, that's, you hope that you just get the right people in his ear that kind of tell him, Hey, you know, like we can't, we can't have that. And that's kind of my, my hope with Julian Araujo. Um, well, and what's also hard is that, like, a lot of the the statistics showed that the LAFC game was most of their best games. Um, you know, they show up for these rivalry games. I think Araujo just shows what that rivalry needed, um, that that he took on players, and you know that that you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock someone for earning a yellow card for doing his job. Um, and then and then and then he did play out of position at times as well. Like you were saying. Yeah, and I mean, Araujo, I mean, Araujo kind of gets it because he grew up in it, right? Like, I mean, he, yeah. his, his first two seasons were the high, or have been at the zenith of this rivalry. So I think Araujo gets it. And also, I mean, Araujo is just a tough kid in general. I mean, you, 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 he's, he's not going to take any, you know, flack on the field. I mean, he's just, he's just a tough kid. Um, he's 19 years old. I'm calling him a kid. Ridiculous. Um, well, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, compared to us, sure, he's a kid, but in the soccer uh, world, he's right. He's a ripe age. Of 19. <laughs> well, I, I will say, I think a lot of the defensive failings this season came out, came out of the wingbacks. I mean, outs, I mean, Araujo had a good season, but he had his moments. I mean, but, you know, it, he split his time evenly with Rolf Felcher. And I, I think, you know, I, I, I just, I, I, I wanted a little bit more out of Araujo to make that his starting space. You know, like, I, I just don't think that we should have ever considered Rolf Felcher as an option this season that I wanted Araujo to win that spot so convincingly that Rolf Felcher was never considered an option again. And he didn't really do that. And, and I mean, we'll talk about when we talk about the midfields, but I mean, the same thing kind of goes with, with Efrain Alvarez, which is that we wanted more out of them. Um, and I know that. Yeah. Been- I mean, that did drive me nuts. I don't know what Rolf Felcher was, was even doing there most of the time. I mean, when he started, he looked strong. He looked like he had improved, but like very quickly Felcher Felchered. And and he and he was solely responsible for conceding goals. So I yeah I I agree. I don't know why he was even. And maybe we're demanding too much out of Araujo, and 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 that's perfectly well and good. But he's making appearances for the full national team. I think we should at least consider him at that level. Um, so I I, I hope that this trend of growth continues for Araujo. I mean, I think he's a brilliant asset to this Galaxy team. Um, much like uh, Guessman said on the Megapod that is there's an asterisk by that if we keep him through the summer because there's got to be a couple of clubs in europe yeah that have we expect have, him to go on to europe i was gonna say the, the sharks have to be the sharks have smelled chum in the water and they've got to be circling um you know I, I could easily see him walking into a team in the netherlands and starting or walking into a, a, a danish side or whatever have you and, and and starting and being a very good starter for them um but yeah i, I think julian Araujo definitely for me is defender of the year with all those caveats said i mean you know, there, there are some things in Julian Araujo's game that he needs to fix, but I think, you know, I, I think if, if, if at 19 we're saying that there are some things he needs to fix, 
that's a good sign. There are certain things with like Rolf Filters game where I'm saying like, God, he's got to fix that. I'm like, wait, Rolf Filters like 30. Like, we've yeah, Filters not going to fix it. His man exactly. bun gets away. Like, I'm done. I've been done with him. I think we've we've said that on this. I've been on I've this been done. I've, I've been done with man buns even before Rolf Filter was a thing. So oh, yes. <laughs> I'm already done with him. Now. <laughs> uh, I do want to dive into the center back pairings real quick because I think it's very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I. I want to know what Giancarlo Gonzalez had on Dominic Kinnear and GBS to start games over Nick Dupuis. Because you look at Nick Dupuis, Nick Dupuis' most prominent mistake this season is the goal they conceded in Houston. And it's a communication error. It's not really an error of, uh, you know, he, he, he screws up. It's just he but doesn't... And Dupuis looked fatigued. I mean, who wasn't after all of what well, yeah. was going on? I was but, uh, but I'm... But I'm, but I'm saying, I mean, I, I mean, look, I was surprised to see people back in the the starting lineup. I was like, what is going on? Uh, yeah, and I mean, Nick Dupuis looked a little bit kind of deer in the headlights at times in games, and I, I, I think the Galaxy defense in general looked like deers in headlights usually when they had to defend against any competent attack. Um, you know, people can always. What's so fascinating, and and what's so fascinating to me, and. God, I say what's so fascinating to me too much on this podcast. Um, yeah, take so- a shot for every time we say what's so fascinating to us. <laughs> or or so to speak. Or um, <laughs> but you look at, again, and, I, and I, 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 I hate that I keep referencing the Megapod, but I made a lot of points about the defense that I'd actually, I, I, I wanted to make here as well. Look at the resumes of this Galaxy defense, right? Like, Rolf Feltscher played in La Liga, played in Switzerland in the Super League, played in the championship. I think he made one or two Premier League appearances. Played in the second Bundesliga, like that's not a bad resume to have. You look at Giancarlo Gonzalez. Yes, he, you know, he played in Columbus. He played in Italy. He played, I believe, he played in Spain for a little bit. Like he's got. I mean, he played on a Columbus team that made an MLS Cup final. Like he's not a slouch. You know, it, it, that should make sense. Like, I mean, he played for Bologna or Bologna or Parma in Italy. One of the one of the one of the kind of like the perennial European clubs. Um, Emmanuel Ansoua wins the Bundesliga with Stuttgart. Like, you know as they're starting uh, outside back. Like, I mean, these are resumes that are very good to have, right? Like if you would, if you had shown me just these blank resumes and if I was, you know, uh, the person, the grand high poobah in charge of signing players to the galaxy, if you don't put a name or any tape and just showed me their resumes. I would say, yeah, of course this makes sense. This is a great signing. The problem is that the, stru- the, the, the structure or lack thereof in terms of defensive shape and defensive identity has really put these players on, you know, on a desert island, so to speak. Like, I mean, you know, you watch Rolf Felcher try to defend one-on-one and it's almost painful to watch because he's getting beaten by some average run-of-the-mill MLS and you're like, dude, you've played better players. Like, I mean, he once still has played against some of the best in Germany and he's getting beaten by, like, some 16-year-old kid from San Jose. Like, I think almost our conversation about the defense has to be about, you know, like, the lack of structure that was this 2020 season. Like, and I know we're getting to larger conversations we're going to have in, in the coming weeks, but, like... It does just feel like this should have worked, and it never did. And I mean, there there's, there are things to build on. I mean, you know, you talk about Daniel Starez, 20 games played, held the captaincy for a fair amount of it. You know, Didi Traore probably should get a little bit more of a look than he's getting. Julian Araujo, for as long as you can keep him, keep him. Um, Nick Dupuy, I would like to see more. I think he's got I, – I like his game, but I, I just would like to see a little bit more. Um, I also would say – we don't know what's going on in training in terms of how they lost out spots. I think that's a very important caveat to have, but I'd really like to see why Nick Dupuy lost his spot to people Gonzalez, considering we know what people Gonzalez is and my perennial 
plea to the universe that we launch him into the sun. Um, it just, it, like, all of... The, there's, there's good parts, right? But it just doesn't feel like it's cohesive. I mean, it's because after uh, Escaloto got, got fired that he, that people Gonzalez found, found his way back into that starting lineup. Um, I, again, saw the potential of him at, at times. I'm not even sure if it was even this season anymore because the years start to blur, blur together where people was clearing um, balls off the line of the goal. Um, you know, first of all, shouldn't even get to that point. Second of all, that you're relying on people Gonzalez to get you out of sticky situations like that. Um, I mean, we've said on this pod numerous times. I know Christian, you're, you're, yeah, exactly. You, you want to be done with, with the people. We don't even want to talk about him anymore. Um, I will say, I will say, I will say mm -hmm. at the end of the season, it did look like people Gonzalez playing for his job with a lot of the efforts he, he put out. I mean, it did look like someone in the front office told him, look, you got to get it together. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're not going to be here next year. Um, that being said, he was responsible Agreed. for a couple of goals near the end there that I was like, come on, dude, you got to know better. Um, anyway, continue. I apologize. No, no, no. The, but that, but that's exactly why I'm glad that, that you chimed in because that is another thing that I was thinking that these guys know that their, that their jobs are on the line. I mean, when you come in last place and it's just hail Mary's and, you, and you're playing because you have to, you have to finish the season and you know that it's not going to be anything more. Um, you know, we were saying that a lot of this club is not playing with heart, with the passion that we want to see. Uh, when you see these flashes from these guys, it's because, yeah, they're fighting for their jobs and or uh, because their interim coach is the one who's who's somehow actually motivating these guys in a way that Escalota was not. Well, and also, um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, the rumor about, or at least the rumor around the coaching staff was Shaloto was the tactician and the, the brain behind the organization and Kinnear was the heart behind it. Like he was the guy that was geeing him up in the locker room and kind of getting them going that Shaloto never really connected with the players in that kind of way. And I mean, that I, I think the efforts we saw under Kinnear kind of indicates that kind of to be truthful to me. But look, I mean, you know, let's go, let's get, let's get crazy for a hot second. Cause I, I, you, you were talking about heart and about how it did feel like these defenders didn't play with heart. Well, well, that's why I, I gave Steras the credit because yeah. he seemed to be the one who was trying. Araujo, young, fiery dude, you know. And um, and because and, mm -hmm. and, we we haven't talked about Steras, and and, and I, I do want to give Daniel Steras credit because I think quietly in front of our eyes we've been focused on so many other players that Daniel Steras has kind of quietly become a very high quality MLS center back. Like he's he's good. Like he's not. And know, he fought to keep his role. You know, yeah. he did fight. I mean, he, he's he, I mean, a veteran now, so. Yeah, I mean, he was also... Mad respect. Second. Yeah, and I mean, he's... he's He gets it, I think. And that's why I think he had the captaincy. Um, but back to my let's play crazy here for a second, because you actually kind of made a fair point about Daniel Stairs and him getting it and him giving the captaincy. Um, let's give the captaincy to Julian Araujo. Kid's fiery. Mm -hmm. Kid gets it. Kid love Like, kid understands it. Like, I mean, he gets it. But those and red cards. That's <laughs> like we were saying that... You know, because because I mean, if if I could have, then Insua should have got the armband because of his professionalism, his experience, the chemistry with the team. He's the most solid. He's the most consistent. He's the other one that would have won Defender of the Year if Araujo hadn't done Araujo things. Um, that but, I think, other than Steras, who do you give the band to? Well, if Insua. you give it to well, you give it to Araujo, if you give it to Araujo, doesn't that kind of take care of the red card problem for you? Because basically, you tell him, look, you're the captain of this club. You cannot get sent off in games. You know, like you have to be smarter. Like, doesn't that kind of take care of the problem? 
Um, perhaps, perhaps I, 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 maybe I'm old school, quote unquote, where I'm still giving it to veteran players and more experienced players. Um, but it, it, definitely, I could see Araujo getting the armband if he were to stay. Yeah, and 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 I agree with you about Insua and, and just the professionalism and the and yeah, I think a lot of people really buried Insua and and I really and and I know they didn't exercise his option. I hope that's just because they want to negotiate him down yeah, to a different contract. Started all twenty two games and then the Galaxy like de- declined his contract. Like what? I I think that's maybe because they want to get him on a cheaper contract. Um, I would appreciate if that was the case. <laughs> I hope um, so. Then you, I'm gonna have uh, yeah. I'm gonna have gonna some say, issues then because it, because then things start to fall apart and they start to fall apart from the from the back end here. I mean, it's not every day a Bundesliga winner walks into your locker room is kind of the point I'm making mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, I think Insua was probably you know outside of I agree with you that outside of Araujo, Insua is probably my other defender of the year. Um, I don't think any of the center backs really covered themselves in glory this season. Um, it, you know it. I'd like to see more. Uh, again, I'd like to see more of, of Didi Traore. But yeah, I, I I hope they can bring back Insua on, on, a, on a deal that's a little bit more friendly to the club. Um, but, you know, it's just, it was... Oof. I mean, the Galaxy in moments of transition this year defensively were just so bad. Um, and I, I, I'm trying to find the optimism, the positivity. Um, you know, my mom was telling me, like, go be positive on the pod. I'm, I'm trying really hard, but... You know, if you build a defense around Julian Araujo, Nick Dupuy, and Daniel Starius, and hopefully you bring back Emmanuel Insua and actually back them up with good players, um, maybe we have something cooking here, but it's... Uh, you know, like, <laughs> I know, right? We were already saying, like, get the expletives ready, but we've been pretty good this, this, this I'm, pod. <laughs> I've really tried to talk myself into believing that this defense is going to be good next year without adding reinforcements and they're going to need a ton of players to make Look, this defense good. Do you feel a little better that Felcher is out of contract? Yes, I do. I feel fantastic actually, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, I, 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 we've, we've, we've waxed lyrical about the defense. I do want to talk about the goalkeepers. I think it's, it's interesting because both Bingham and Klinsman were in the last year of their contracts and both are out of contract. This is going to be very interesting to see who they bring back. Um, mm-hmm. Both had mm-hmm. equal, both had, both had, Pretty equal save percentage. Uh, Bingham's was 67 save percentage. Klinsman's 64%, 3%. Neglig- uh, that's negligible. Um, Bingham also had one assist this year. Uh, that was the goal that Povon scored in uh, Houston. Um, I I don't know if either of them are the starting goalkeeper next season for the Galaxy. I would, I'm fine if they're not. Um, I was ready to see Klinsman do some work, uh, been done with Bingham for a hot minute. Um, that said, I know that, you know, we'll get into it, but the midfield didn't create and the defense let Bingham down. I get it. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, now, man, you've had your chance. He almost lost his spot to Klinsman. Um, yeah, I'm, I I mean, he did lose his spot to Klinsman. The only reason Bingham came back in the end of the season was because Klinsman was, was injured. I mean, he injured his, his shoulder in training. Like, oh, is that why? I thought it had to do with the coaching decisions. No, he... he oh. Remember remember Galaxy North Korea? They don't tell us anything. Um, oh, my. Is that, he, is that the title of this episode? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, um, back to Didi Chiriore. Man, again, another guy that I wish that we could have just seen more of. Um, you know, he just didn't have any starts and he had too little play. Well, I mean, he only, he only got 85 minutes this season where he got something like 222 minutes last season. Um, look, I, I mean, well, in this, this 2020 
wacko I, season. Well, yeah, I, I mean, would have wanted to see. It's not. It's not a thirty-six game season. It's a twenty-two game season. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. <laughs> You know, I, I'd, I'd like to see more of him next season. I really would. I think they're, uh, from what I saw, from what I remember from the 2019 season and from what I saw this year, I mean, there was, he, he was definitely electric and there was moments of, of, of success there. You know, well, the whole entire thing, so, so quickly going back to the goalkeeper thing, like the whole entire reason the goalkeepers for the Galaxy have always kind of looked bad is because, I mean, they've got a defense in front of them that is just so poor in transition. Like the goalies have to be aggressive and Bingham's not really a good keeper when he has to be aggressive. I mean, you look at all the goals, goals that Carlos Vela has scored against him. It's because he's trying to, overcompensate for a defense that's just not helping him like it, it, the the goalkeeper position is never going to be good until we figure out this team in terms of defending in transition defending in one-on-one situations and cutting down high percentage chances that's like if i'm a head coach i don't worry about the goalkeeper position until i figure out the defensive position because the goalkeeper position can never be successful until the defensive positions actually have some level of structure and planning and ability to ensure that whoever I put in goal is going to be protected and, and only has to make saves that either are a routine or b, you know, once in a lifetime saves that keep you in a game. Um, and I understand, you know, like the whole entire adage that a good, a good goalkeeper can keep you in a game. I mean, you look at Seattle, for example, MLS Cup uh, finalists. They've got you know Stefan Fry in goal, and Stefan Fry has kept them in games more times than I can count. And on the other side, Columbus is Eloy Room, who really got Columbus to this final, uh, even though he was injured for the semifinal. Uh, and the, and the, the conference final, excuse me, and the, the conference semifinal. Um, yeah, I just think they have to. I don't know necessarily if it's necessarily we need to talk about names, but I think we just need to talk about defensive ideology, and that's what they have to fix in order for this whole entire thing to be successful. You said it. I, I, <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, what what else? You know. Um, in 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 this containment, uh, without talking more about the the rest of the roster, which is what we're we're gearing up to to do, so stay tuned. Um, anything else, Christian? I think I think we have uh, we have beaten this dead horse. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, you know, the only last thoughts I have on this is that. This is the LA Galaxy's first team. I was glad to see um, guys coming up from G2. Uh, seems still that there are soccer basics that these professionals uh, still have to get a hold of. We still have to see what's going to happen with the coaching because they these are, you know, decisions that that affect uh, what what we'll be seeing moving forward. But you know, that said, um, I don't think that the defense was the worst thing about this team. And you will hear why when we go into the midfield. <laughs> Game of a teaser. I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much, you guys. Like, follow, subscribe, tell your friends. And thank you once again. Shout out to all of our LA Galaxy counterparts. And uh, another shout out to Straight from the Stands because I am sorry that I didn't mention you at the beginning of this for, for being the Megapod hosts and organizers. So hats off. Can't, can't wait for next week. <laughs> can't wait for next week. Later. Later.